0: Uh, I think I was with Louis actually. We ended up standing next to Jack Black, and we was quite surprised how short he
1: was. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
3: You're listening to Sapanen Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to episode 224 featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards, but Ah. never mind the bollocks.
4: We've got a fucking sex pistol on the podcast.
3: Yes, we do. We do. This week's guest is our first ever rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee. Many more to come. Many. We're going to get them all, in fact. Yeah, that's difficult. But yeah, this week's guest is former Sex Pistol, absolute legend, Glenn Matlock. Yes, well, I
4: I think some people would say this is a Hall of Fame in itself. It's happening podcast, you know, so (laughs) what a band who have changed the culture and turning punk into a global phenomenon. The Sex Pistols obviously set the foundations for every single punk rock band you've heard since. And at the heart of that was Glenn Matlock, a true music icon who's never been afraid to push boundaries with songwriting, playing with other artists, and telling people how it really is. His work as crossed over with the likes of Blondie, Iggy Pop, The Damned Rich Kids, just to name a few. And he's got a new solo album, Consequences Coming. It'll be available everywhere on April 27th. So when we had the opportunity to relive some unpredictable stories from a true music legend, we couldn't turn it down. Whether people want to admit it or not, we probably wouldn't be doing this. And there's a lot of people in alternative music who wouldn't have found their journeys if it wasn't for the Sex Pistols and what they did and their whole inspiration for the uh, generations to come.
3: Yes, exactly like Morgan said. If it was no Sex Pistols, the majority of bands that we all like today probably wouldn't exist somehow. As we said, we talk everything from Sex Pistols to getting fed up of seeing somebody's cock <laughs> uh to uh his son sam's band so uh, yeah it was a very 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 interesting chat we had a great time so thank you very much to glenn and everybody involved in making this happen yeah i was lucky enough to uh meet glenn i think uh i'm not exactly sure of the year but it was at a Kerrang awards and he stopped me and asked me to have a photo with a child i say a child a younger person i was like I, wait are you Are you Glenn from the Sex Pistols? He said yes, and I just went into a a frenzy of thanking him for everything. But yeah, so I don't know if it was um, Sam I had a photo with or his other son, Louis or Lewis. But I had a photo with somebody uh, to do with Glenn (laughs) Matlock. So that was interesting (laughs) to me. And it was the first time that somebody who was in a much, much, much bigger band had asked me for a photo with somebody. So I remember being blown away by it. And the fact it was a Sex Pistol was great. Well,
4: full circle moment on
3: here, but throughout this
4: conversation, we literally talk about everything from the difference between playing with all these different artists and seeing them from an outsider's perspective, some mischievous pranks, famous gigs back in the day, upsetting politicians, which, you know, could be quite funny, uh, inside jokes with Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones, and uh shouty music that is Son Sam... Uh, I- uh it does from orgasm so all that to come but just a quick reminder if you enjoy what me and sean do you enjoy these conversations (laughs) Please head over to patreon.com forward slash sapnin over there your subscription gets you a few extra bonuses as much as we can included into a group of people we love very very much and it's just a great time i did some karaoke with them this past week
3: yes uh i heard you went to birmingham where um i was performing with the punk rock factories and say it anyway, and um, yeah, you went out karaoke, and I can only imagine how um, <laughs> great that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think acting next year for me, and this time, this time Fair. in two years, I'll be headlining when. No, okay. Anyway, at Sapvin Pod on Twitter and Instagram, this is Glenn Matlock on episode two two four of Sapvin Podcast.
1: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. What's up, man? What's happening? man? What's
0: up, What is it, Borda?
3: What's up, man? What is that? there we are. Yes. What's all going on? Yeah, this week's guest is singer-songwriter, our first ever rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee, and apparently he's fed up of seeing Iggy Pop's cock, <laughs> it's Glenn Matlock. How's it going to
0: be like that, is it? <laughs> How
3: are you doing, all right? yeah i'm great i'm Very absolutely good. yeah over the moon to see you um yeah sorry about that i, I read it in uh, enemy earlier that you were fed up of seeing iggy's winky well that's why i, I kind of joked
0: said I, I stopped playing with him in 79 but you know um yeah <laughs> <It's> some things <laughs> you think you're gonna see when you're on stage and that ain't what i planned on
3: yeah yeah it's not yeah it's not the yeah, reason I, I didn't get into <laughs> rock and roll to see um other other winkies i'll be honest but yeah, how are you?
0: I'm, I'm doing all right, actually. I'm a bit so I've been doing lots of press and the albums come out, and I've got some touring with some various different people. I'm off with Blondie again, on the 13th of March. Um, yeah, and I just finished a couple of gigs over the weekend with my band. So this is non-stop rock action.
4: Yeah, well, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up, Glenn, because like you seem that you're always busy throughout the years, with the matter of it. Your own projects, your own solo material, starting bands, or being hired as a player and touring with so many people over the years. I mean, it, for you, is it just always wanting to be creative? I mean, do you not enjoy sitting around? I mean, what what was it like for you? Is it just always?
0: It seems to go through phases. Uh, the last, you know, since lockdown, it seems to have taken off a bit. Now things have opened up again a little bit. Um, and I get a phone call every now and then. You know, my main thing is I'm trying to get my current music, personal stuff over, which is why I've made a record. And there seems to be quite a lot of interest in it now. But I got asked to do some stuff with Blondie last year, and that went well, and there have been more shows, and I like playing with them. So I thought I'm going to say no to that, which I haven't done. And then short notice, I'm going to do this Blast for nice sort of Iggy Pop tribute to her with Clam and... The guy who was going to play bass couldn't make it for whatever reason at the last minute, so they asked me. So I'm kind of bailing them out, really, you know. But, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun. And the other thing is people always forget this about musicians, it's a job, you know. couple of bob. So it all adds up. You know, I'm not I'm not skint, but I'm not a multimillionaire who could afford to put his feet up on a beach all day long even if I wanted to, which I don't, but um, get it while it's going. You know, it, it doesn't always come out. Well, I like playing. You know, yeah, they're, they're all they're all different aspects of being an artist to some description. You know, when I play with my band, I play rhythm guitar because you can put on a show a bit better. But, but when I play with somebody else, I play bass, probably because I'm not good enough on a guitar, but it doesn't matter because I'm the bloke in charge of the finances with my stuff. I like playing when somebody else is singing, you know, but you can't, you you can do both, but you can't
4: put on the show, you know, so. What is it like with all those different experiences? If you get the call to do something with Blondie or Iggy Pop or The Damned or whatever throughout the years, I mean, is it quite interesting being an external figure in a big body of work like that and be able to see things from the, from the outside? Is it quite refreshing sometimes being a part of a different band?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah it, can, it can be. You know, um, everybody writes a song or performs the way they perform, and you can sort of get stuck in a, a rut a bit, but everybody's got a slightly different way of going about it. Um, you know, I had to learn all this Blondie stuff, and they got totally, well, not totally, but uh, quite different ways of writing than I would. I mean, we didn't end up doing it, but one of the songs I learned before I went over, to start playing with him for the first time, was Danny. Danny, right? Now it starts, and there's a verse and a chorus, and there's a key change right through the rest of the song. And I would never do that. You might have a key change at the end, but not for the second verse. And you think, you know, that's not right, but then you think, actually, it works. Maybe I'll try that next time. You know, you pick up, it's just a for instance, (laughs) but
3: it's little things like that that are all part of the learning curve. Is there any of those bands' influences on your new solo record? Do you know what? I don't know. Because the thing with influences, no, because I
0: recorded it before I did the Blondie thing, although I finished it off a bit. Um, but, you know, influences, they, they're kind of like, it's a bit like rising damp, you know? It, it kind of just seeps in without you realising it. And then it becomes part of you, and you don't really realise picks picked up. And why did I do that Oh. Oh, actually, maybe I did get that from my old friend in 1978, you know. Maybe I didn't, I don't know, but it kind of works, so it doesn't matter, really.
4: I always find it quite interesting as well when you get that look into a band from a different point of view. So, for example, you've looked at a certain band your whole life through one view, but being a part of it and being playing with them live can be completely different. Is there any acts or anything like that that have shocked you is maybe the way they're perceived or maybe the way their live shows are or the way they work and you think like, oh, I didn't expect it to 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 be this atmosphere?
0: Well, people i play, I, I, I played with the most, I mean in more recent years, I don't expect 10 years ago, I was very fortunate enough to, to play with my all-time favourite band, which is The Faces, and it was Greg like Rod Stewart and uh, Mick Hutt did it. But it was Wood, Kenny Jones, and Ian McGlagan. And I knew Matt, Ian McGlagan, Mac, um, because he'd done some stuff with the Richards years ago, and he kind of got me in. And um, in fact, it was funny. When I said, look, I really want to do this. And he said, okay. He said, you're in. But are you sure you're up to it? And I said, Mac, I learned to play Andy's song. I know I'm backwards. And he went, that's great. I said, the thing is, I'm not sure I know him all forwards. And he laughed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of that. Birdie and I had not laugh about everything. Birdie is my favourite guitarist. There's something about his playing. But yeah, dig this: when we was um, rehearsing, Kenny Jones has got one of those big kind of stadium rock kits, right? You know, with like hundreds of Tom um, toms on it. And then there was a bit. There was an extra pedal. So what's that pedal for? And he said, well, if you follow that bit of string, you know, right down there and down there and past the third time someone on the right. I said, yeah. He said, look, there's another hi-hat. And if I go down, he goes, ding. And I, he said, it's good. And I went, well, if you like that kind of thing. And this is when we were rehearsing. And then all of a sudden, there was a big kerfuffle and there were some stairs going down to the basement studio. And also, all these roadies turned up uh, because they people who worked with us stones, you know, and they're all trying to get a gig and all it. I've never seen so many roadies at a rehearsal, and the next thing is these burly blokes carrying two timpani, you know, kettle drums downstairs, and sitting right next to Kenny's kit. And yeah, you know, I've done all this work lugging it down, and do you know what? He didn't touch him.
4: <laughs>
0: anyway, we do the first key. I think it's the vintage festival or something like that. And we do Losing You, you know, temptation I'm face as much easier to do. And there's a big drum solo in it. And so we're banging off to the side of the stage. Ronnie Wood comes up to me, who's on the wagon, as I'm on the wagon these days, and I've been for a long time. It's no secret, no big deal, but there you go. And he said, how are you doing, Glenn? You know, he says, well, Kenny's doing his drum solo. And I said, um, well, all right, but I don't really know what you're supposed to do in a drum solo. Presumably in the <laughs> olden days, you would have gone off and, you know, like that. You know, yeah. <laughs> he said, I know. He said, what's it? He said, keep him busy. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, engage him like that. And on the top of one of his hands, uh, he's got a bottle of Johnson's baby powder, which he puts on his hands to, you know, if they get sweaty. And he said, come on then. He said, i really keep him busy. And I guess I'm dancing like that. He sneaks around the back of his kit. Well, Kenny's looking at what he's do in this country and, and sprinkles talcum powder over his tampon. and he comes back and he said, Let's get the plant. And so we're both going. <laughs> and Kenny's going, What? We're going. And he goes, Oh, I get it. He goes, and there's all this and baby powder going everywhere. <laughs> and Ronnie goes, That's what you do in a drum solo. <laughs> That's
3: brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely brilliant.
4: It's always nice when you can surround yourself with people like that who are still not taking themselves too seriously and like to have a laugh and pull in little pranks like that on stage.
3: Well,
0: yeah, you know, and when we was doing that stuff, I mean, I was really proud I got involved with that. And There you go. But it occurred to them that Ian McLagan and Kenny Jones were doing that and they'd never played any Small Faces songs live I together since 1968 when the band broke up. Wow. So we worked out two Small Faces songs for the encore, one being All or Nothing, which is kind of quite simple, and I do my set, Tin Soldier, which is kind of pretty complicated, actually, unless you know it. He had a few run-throughs, in it? As we we're walking off the stage, Ronnie Wood said to me, he said, "How about that, Glenn? He said, me and you, we played two Small Faces songs with two of the Small Faces, and we got them right. It's fantastic.
3: And even I <laughs> little kid, you know, it's cool. So the end lost his um, enthusiasm at all. yeah it's quite infectious. Well, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah, your your enthusiasm for this is very, very infectious. It's it's nice to see that obviously you still love it and enjoy it after all these years. Because like myself, like when my band did well, I could find myself, like we had like an, a 12-year period, I think we were together. Towards the end, I was getting a little bit, Blase about it i guess but it's 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 so good to see your enthusiasm for it well i'm either really dedicated
0: or stupid i don't know <laughs> 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 but you know sometimes it's got to have a break i think that's maybe where the pistols went wrong first time around you know it was a pretty intense period perhaps we should have stepped back for a bit and then come back again a bit sooner and had another go properly. You know, I know we reformed later on this. I mean, it was good, but it was quite the same kind of thing, you know.
3: Yeah. Can you recall any um, crazy moments from back in those days? Like, what was the craziest thing that happened to you while, uh, while you were in the pistols? Oh, you put me on the spot there now, really. Um, <laughs> but us part that man,
0: and I'll, I'll think of something as we... All
3: right. Um, was it, yeah, all right. Was there any weird venues you ever played? Uh, my band played a bull ring once in Madrid. That was the strangest place we ever played.
0: Oh, that's kind of cool. Do you know what? I think I might have played the same one with Johnny Thunders in the uh, mid-80s, maybe. Um, yeah. I'll tell you where we did play. Really early game the Pistols. We played, where was it? It was um, like Scarborough or somewhere like that. Conservative club. Sex Oh, oh burn it fucking down. There was hardly anybody there. And I kept coming in from the other room. But can you turn down? Can you turn down? So in the end, we turned right down. Where it was like the shadows. And then this bloke who looked like kind of Norman Terwick came in and said, he said, it's not all good, lads. He said, "He said we'll pay you, but you have to go because we can't have Bingo being called. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty wacky, you know.
3: I love us Sex, yeah. Pistols. Yeah, it probably said outside, Sex, Pistols plus Bingo brilliant
0: <laughs> <see. laughs> th- I think it was probably the other way around you
1: know <laughs> that,
3: like. oh. yeah, I would, yeah I don't know how you even I, I don't even know if I could perform inside a conservative club myself well, I, think I, my- I
0: don't think we knew until we got there you know one of Malcolm McLaren's things but you know those kind of things that's what kind of builds you as a band somehow you know you go through all these scrapes and tough things and, and that's yeah that's was my favourite memory of Sex Pistols but that's one of the darkest things but I remember that before doing something else
4: well speaking of like really just obscure gigs and weird moments like that one thing I really wanted to bring up was the fact that in Wales there's such a folklore for a Sex Pistols gig back in 1976 when you played Cofili and I've been told this story so many times by my dad and stuff but like at the time, it seemed such a weird experience because you know you had protesters outside, there was really concerned mothers doing the whole thing, a choir turned up and did carol singing. I mean, at that time, was that just kind of like the norm for you, that there was always this kind of uproar about you bringing punk to the masses and trying to do stuff? Well,
0: yeah, that, that gig was an next that gig was an extra one that I think we hadn't played and it was tagged on at the end of the Anarchy Tour. So it was just after all the furor about us. But, yeah, we managed it. I mean, it, it, was, it was just daft, really. I, I, in fact, I read somewhere the local vicar, we quite a while back, even he said, it's a bit daft, really. You know, they're just a group, you know. And so, But at the time, people get caught up in all this... I mean, there's all this... You know, my album is kind of about the stupidity and the dopiness of Brexit and the right, the lurch to the right wing. But even back then, you know, it was was the first thing I've done, the first experience of the the press, you know, we did the Bill Grundy show and then you're Public Enemy number 1 and you're on the front page of all newspapers and there's nothing really prepares you for that. And And also, your first band, you think, oh, it's like this for every band, but of course it's not. But you... Be an early age, how kind of easily led people can be by the media. You know, and there was a lot of shit going on in England back then, you know, three day week, people on strike, power cuts, the IRA. And you realize they're using you as a bit of a sock, you know, a dead cat Hmm. to take your mind off what they're not doing properly as a government.
3: Well, that's what it's felt. Yeah, that's what it's felt like for the last couple of weeks for me in Britain. Like um, there seems to be news stories about everything apart from the fact that we're being robbed every day by the Tories.
0: <laughs> well, exactly. You know, and I, I did, um, maybe two weeks ago now, I did BBC Breakfast TV and I was annoyed because I had to be up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I thought I was doing it in London. I had to go out to Manchester the night before. I was going to go out for dinner with John Robb and, and Mick Rossi from Slaughter and the Dogs and then I had to do something some zoom thing in my hotel room for times online which i didn't mind doing but i thought it weren't happening so i didn't go and have a proper dinner i was knackered now that's about six and then you're supposed to be on at eight and then they said oh no because something's like no then you're on at nine o'clock in the morning right and you could have got up an hour later so i had the um and then they started asking me about head on the and brexit and stuff so i told them right you know i've had like over a million and a half views on it and all these people write something saying, good for you Glenn you're saying the things that people seem a bit scared of saying in the media no, I've got nothing to lose I think it's stupid
3: yeah well that's the thing I think yeah you th- it adds such a big visceral reaction because you're one of the first people to go on the BBC and openly admit that Brexit is a cause to a lot of these problems because the BBC just seem to be toeing the line at the moment well, they
0: are, Well, they are because they're the government mouthpiece,
3: really. You know, and there's all these
0: backhanded deals that started with David Cameron and getting his man in the ball of the BBC, and it's continued. And it's, 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 just, it's just wrong. It's doomed to failure. It won't last. Whether it will be up overturned in my lifetime, I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. But it, it's just it's stupid. You know, I went on a march. Then I bumped into Kevin Rowland, and we was marching along Piccadilly, and our boat was playing a ghetto Blaster, and they was playing "Let's Stick Together," you know, by Brian Ferry, or our Bertie Candy version. But I thought, what a great place to have your song played, you know. And that was this is a couple of years back, and that was instrumental in me, you know, trying to write a couple of the songs that I did, because I thought, you know, can't there be some consequences coming as you're marching to Parliament? But but all that, though, come under, I I can't even remember what the march is, but in my mind, it should have been called the Brexit is Dopey March, you know.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my my thing with it all is I'm seeing these people who are like head of industries, captain of industries going, I I work for the fishing industry, and I can't believe Brexit has made all this go wrong. And I'm like, well, how did I know? How did I know it was going to be awful? I like that. You remember the far show, Harry
0: Enfield, and... And Paul Whitehouse, and they do these characters and sitting in the pub, and, you know, and they come up with some outlandish thing, and then Harry Enfield goes, "Well, if that's what you want, that's what's going to happen." And I think that's <laughs> exactly, you know, it's that's where we're at. <laughs> Opus. yeah, Opus network.
4: <laughs> as much as it's infuriating, is it quite interesting though when there's so much issues like this in the world that it does bring inspiration for you to want to write a new solo album and. And Well, and pick yeah,
0: up. yeah, there is that. You know, what would I write about if I didn't? I don't know. There's always some kind of injustice. And I don't, you know, I like Pete Seeger. I don't think I'm in his class at all, but it's quite a burning issue. And, you know, I always say this, but I think to not reflect what's going on around you, when maybe a lot of people aren't, it's an aggregation of responsibility. But...
4: Mm. And going back to like some of those early gigs and like affiliate and, and things like that, I mean... At such a young age, was, did you feel like kind of shocked about certain reactions with stuff like that? Or was it just kind of like, oh, this, this, this is the norm and of, of course a choir outside trying to distract people and, and this kind of stuff?
0: I just thought, you know, it, it was an eye-opener that there's quite a few people who are short of a shilling up there. Their psalm book doesn't go all the way to the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah, nice. I'm writing that down. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> yeah.
4: And with with the new album uh, as well as, as as you said, like there's so many different things that inspire you with it. But musically, are you always are you someone who's always just kind of writing like melodies and ideas and
0: it, it, it comes it comes and goes. I get most of my ideas walking along the street. You see something little tune comes in your head and you don't think too much about it. But when that idea comes back and starts becoming a little bit of an earworm, that's when you have to pick up the guitar and do something about it. If you can't remember it, I always I say to my sons, you know, when they, when they was living with me and I've got a little computer studio at home, all we need to get on is the studio. Well, why are you in such a rush? Well, I've got an idea. <laughs> I'm going to put it down before I forget it. And I always say... Well, if you can't remember it, how do you expect anybody else to remember it? It's kind of true if you're trying to write catchy songs, which I try and do. You know, I've got I was born in the fifties. I listened to all that fantastic pirate radio and Ready Steady Go through the sixties, where the Kinks and the Who and the Stones and the Small Faces came through, and then Ready Steady Go, all that fantastic Tamla Motown stuff. You know, Smokey Robinson and all these songs that are like kind of. Almost like little three-minute operas with a beginning, a middle, and end of the story and fantastic. And that's my yardstick, really. Like, I don't want to sound like that, but it's not a bad starting place. And on the other hand, you know, I see some bands, you know, like some band, like, um, like, like you know, I can't even, I don't want to name names, but some band, you know, that.
1: <laughs> yeah. but
0: what happens when they go in and shit? Hello, throw that out there. I had
3: a great <laughs> idea last night. How's it go? Pretty goes. What happens then? Pretty goes. Wah! How would he do it? <laughs> oh, again! You just summed up. Yeah, you summed up my career in um, <laughs> four <laughs> noises. Uh, it's funny, brilliant! I love that. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I do. Actually. Boys have got a good idea. It's swearing and shouting at the same time. Oh, again! Nice. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, brilliant. You um, you mentioned uh, your sons there and one of them, Sam, has been uh, had a hell of a career the last few years with his band Wargasm. Main stage of Downloads going across Europe with Limp Bizkit. Uh, really iconic bands to him, I'm sure, growing up. What's it been like for you watching him from afar and, and doing his own musical journey like that?
0: Well, I'm proud of him. You know, I'm proud that he's sort of come up with something that works for him. He does go, <laughs> <out>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it works for him. And, and I'm proud that he wants to be his own man. Um, I, I don't interfere. When they were younger, you know, I've got another song, Louis as well. You know, I didn't force him to do anything. I mean, when he got his first guitar, he got a cheap one. Well, in fact, I had one, you know, a cheap Jetson. And I said, well, you can have that. And then he wanted a better one. And I said, well, the thing is, that one's not bad. You might as well get something really good, but I'm not buying it for you just like that. you got to prove you want it, you know. And I came out deal with him, and he had it. I'm not being tight, but, you know, to get a decent guitar, it was Christmas, his birthday, and the next Christmas before I got it. And I made sure that he wanted it, you know. And he proved to me that he wanted it, and he, and he got it, you know. Not just like that, and he had to work for it, and, and then his mum goes, "Oh, you got to get him an amp." Well, he can, he can use my one. I have got a vintage Marshall, you know. You know, and it was sort of mucking in a little bit, but he's come up with his own thing, and I'm, I'm proud of him. And
3: there you go. I haven't seen that much of him. You know, he's really busy all the time. So. Yeah, it's um, yeah. He's doing really. He's doing really well, and the band are uh, the band are fantastic.
0: Yeah, I keep getting really good reports, and I don't go on about him too much unless you know, somebody bring, brings it up because I don't. You know, it must be hard being the son of an ex-Sex Pistol kind of thing. And he's done something that's not like that, you know. I mean, with my music, you know, people say there's nothing like the Sex Pistol. It's not supposed to be. That was then, a long time ago. And, you know, I throw in a couple of Pistol songs as a crowd pleaser, but I don't think it's really fair on the other guys in the band. They weren't in the Sex Pistols. Nobody's ever going to sound like Steve Jones, because Steve Jones sounds like Steve Jones. You know, it's, and so you kind of change the song a little bit and you do it for those people who are there at the time. You know, if I did a solo gig, say, and you know, I do quite a lot of solo shows in Brainer's area, say, in some clubs, you know, I know full well, those people are never going to see a Sex pistol play in a Sex song unless I do it for them. So I'll do it. Craig is then, they take the video and put it up on YouTube without asking you and everybody thinks that's all you do and it's not true, you know. So there's that downside
4: to it. Do you think that's one of the biggest misconceptions you've had to like face throughout your career, the, the longer it goes on, that people just associate you with that whole punk attitude as well? And then when you put out music that maybe is a little bit slower, that you have to like explain a bit more, that that's a part of your life, not just all of it?
0: Well, I think people are kind of coming around to my way of thinking – a bit more now um, you know and the other thing music's a bit slower it's kind of funny the sex best were never a romance you know when we reformed, people you know it's not very fast You never was supposed to be in the first place you know I, I think there's a thing with rock music if you play it too fast it's like a square dance then you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's wrong you lose all the majesty and the power of it that's my take on it anyway you know yeah yeah of course
4: where would you say is the, um, the weirdest place you've heard one of your own songs come on? Because you've recorded with so many different people. I'm sure there's like must be instances where you've just watched a film, for example, and not knowing it was going to be played, or you've just turned up somewhere and, and it's playing. Is there anything that comes to mind on that side of things?
0: Well, actually, there's that movie, um, what's it, Lost in Translation? where they're supposed to be in a skyscraper up in the middle of Tokyo or somewhere. And I've been there, you know, like where you're, you're kind of there by yourself or something, you don't really know anybody. And you're like, uh, are you supposed to get up into do any skulldugger? And you don't, you because know, you've got family and all that. And they chat chatting to something. But I played God Save the Queen back then. That, that's a bit kind of weird. But I tell you what was weird. I went to Korea a few years back and got mates in with this guy called, his nickname's Chacha, and he's like Paul Weller of Korea. And I played with them. We did some gigs. um We did like a Camden Crawl thing in Seoul and then also did played on a board between North and South Korea and that was very interesting. But the Camden Crawl thing, he was the celebrity DJ opening up the evening where everybody was saying hi to each other. So I'm in this place called Youngstown in Seoul and there's like a cafe with a balcony above it and there's some decks there. And he comes on, he goes, ba, 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 Hang on, I know this, and everybody goes, down, 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 He was playing Whole Tribe by Dave D, Dozy, Peaky, Mick and Tick in the middle of the, the Portobello <coughs> Road of Seoul.
3: You're mad. But yeah, what was, um, yeah, what was the, uh, North-South Korea divide like? What was, what was it, was it strange playing there? Well, it was, but not
0: for the reason that you think. When you go there, they, they, there was a whole thing. We got the train up from Seoul to, I can't remember the town. And when you get there, there's this big building, which is all bombed out. And um, I've seen, he's probably seen pictures on the TV. And it was like the socialist workers party thing where the North Koreans came and they tortured people and all that. It was like horrible. But they, next thing they say, oh, now there's going to be a special dance troupe. And it's like, what? It's a bit weird, but actually it was very touching, right? The other side of the road, there's a big car park, and this is just outside this barrel, which takes you to the demilitarized zone, which is about five kilometers before you get to the actual border. The other side of the road, there's a farmer's market, and they're selling honey that comes from these bees that thrive in the demilitarized zone, right? So this is a bit weird. And then we drive... Through the demilitarized zone, which is beautiful farmland, but nobody's allowed to live there. So the farmers go in at sunrise and have to leave by sunset. And you go through, and then there's these escarpments, and you go, oh, "That's a funny thing." It's like a, the bottom of a flyover without flyover. But you oh, go, "It's these funny things to go." Oh, All their mines, you know, if they and Bay, they can just blow them up like that, and you drive them through. You like, "Whoa!" And then there's <laughs> these fields called Lost. Skull crossbones, don't walk their minds. Oh, okay. Then you get to the border, and there's a bit of railway track, and there's a train that's been bombed, and they kind of left it as a bit of a memento kind of thing. And there's this massive big hill that looks a bit odd with some stairs going up. So I said, Well, what's what's that? Is that the border? That's a funny hill. And they said, Well, it's a big anti tank escarpment that was man made built. I said, so, so if you go up those stairs, you can see North Korea. And they said, well, you can do, um, but that's not the reason for the stairs. Well, what's the reason for the stairs? Well, if you go up to the top, there's a bird sanctuary, so you can see this rare breed of ibis that thrives, again, like the bees, because nobody lives there. And you're on the border, and you think it's going to be like nuclear armageddon. Then they're talking about honey and ibis. <laughs> it's like weird. <laughs> and I thought it when, you know, there was a whole edginess to the thing but it's also and it's a really beautiful country and people were lovely Who you know until you go to these places that was one of the favorite things i've ever done and another thing with the same group of people not long after that i went to ramallah in palestine and got involved with some little concert there and that was an eye out and all but i'm not going to go into that but they are probably the most That's two favorite gigs i've ever done and it was they were for love you know so yeah, yeah. Class. wow!
4: It's awesome. it's insane to think like just where exactly music has taken you throughout the years. Like just just places of the world that you wouldn't get a chance to see if it wasn't for the music you've done.
0: I, I agree. Yeah, I and mean, it was. I mean, I'm not the only musician we went and other people and stuff. But yeah, it's opened some doors, so I'm not complaining about that. But a lot of people have said, "How much is in it?" Oh, no, no, i have not in it. I thought, yeah, why not? Yeah, and by saying yes to things, sitting at home waiting for the phone ring, be kept sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring, say yes, within reason. It leads to other things, so that's what I'd rather do.
4: Nice, nice. It's it's so cool to see you still making memories like this throughout your career. But, like, speaking of having the phone ringing, we talked about a lot of – that the other bands you've performed and, and recorded with over the years, is there being any offers of people trying to require your services that either haven't worked out or Ooh. just kind of didn't come to fruition? Is there anyone that's kind of...
0: Well, there's loads of things. There's loads of things like that. And I've been saying to some other interviews about, you know, most musicians get famous for doing one thing, but like there's loads sort of little projects going on where people collaborate and have a go at doing this. you never see the light of day. Not because they're no good, just because they don't. You know, that's, that's what I like about being a musician. People muck in, you know, claiming he's here, he's always doing something, he likes to keep his hand in, and it makes life interesting. I think one of the biggest things that nobody would have heard of, when I did The Rich Kids, Mick Ronson produced the album, and I got matey with him and he asked me to play, I did a bit of playing on Ian Hunter album, never alone with the schizophrenia and, and then the schizophrenic album, Ian Hunter's one. But maybe a year or two after that, I kept in touch with him. And he called me up. He said, I'm going to form a band. I went, Oh, I mean, who? And he said, Well, I was thinking of getting um, Simon Kirk on drums. I thought, it's pretty good, you know. Who are you going to have singing? He said, um, Paul Rogers. I went, Cool. <laughs> I asked you playing guitar. And he said, Yeah, I said, Are you going to get bass? He said, Well, I wondered if you'd do it, you know. And I was like, Nothing came of it. But I was really chuffed that he asked me, you know.
4: Well, that's what, Well, I appreciate you sharing that because that's what I always love to hear is when friends in just bands are trying all these things all the time and trying new projects and trying to collaborate with each other because really that that's, uh, produces some of the, of, of the best material when people are in a relaxed environment and, and trying something new.
0: Yeah. And also, even if it don't work out, maybe you might have something to bring from that to the next project, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, but the only thing with that though also is that it's just all that bloody rehearsing you have to do all the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
4: mm. ah. And Glenn, with all that, as we've talked about your new album, Consequences coming, it's been really simple, 27th. What's uh, one thing you really hope people take away from this record more than anything?
0: Uh, there's life in the old dog, yet. Yeah. I, I just want to come across as being the same still kind of contemporary in some kind of way. You know, I'm not trying to do orgasm. I'm not trying to be LinkedIn Park. I'm not trying to be me. But I think I've got certain views and a way of playing that I think ought to still count, really. I mean, uh, there's some great players. Man. Check it out, folks, you know. There's nothing worse than putting a record out and nobody knows you've had one out. Or they make a judgment before they've heard it. Check it out and then make a judgment. If you don't like it, fair enough. If you haven't heard <laughs> it, more for you. Uh, and if if you do like it, great. You know, we all win.
3: Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And if you vote Tory again next time, you're a massive arse. <laughs> Anybody listen to this? Yeah.
0: So listen to Sean Smith. These guys had screwed on.
3: <laughs> yes, thank hey. you very much. But yeah, Glenn, thank you very much. Thank you for everything over the years. Thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for the music. Um, Head on a stick is out now and is fantastic. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank All right, you. Fellas. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Morgan.
4: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer.
3: Aha! Woo! That was the mighty Glenn Matlock on Sappening podcast. Um, what a what a lovely chap! Yeah, who would have thought this would ever have happened? To be fair, when nope. we started, I don't think we
4: would have uh, be talking to rock and roll hall of famers. Uh, it was they are rock and roll hall of famers, but apparently they have uh, they've never gone and collected their awards.
3: Oh, I love them. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a nice mantelpiece. Right? I might go. Yeah, let's find out when the next one is and see if we can roll up and be like, oh, Glenn Matlock <laughs> sent me for this award <laughs> <now. laughs> grab it? Honest now. Don't phone him and check. Amy good's number? No. Good. Right, I'll have his award then. Write them off. But yes, great chat with Glenn, talking everything from uh, new record to old records to performing with, he has performed with some insane bands. It was also nice to hear him talk about his son, Sam's band, Wargasm as well, because we haven't... I keep an eye out for uh, articles and stuff that uh, Glenn's involved with, and I haven't seen him mention them, so uh, I wanted to uh, break that egg. No, break the ice. Break that egg. (laughs) I'm I'm having a stroke. I swear to God I'm having a stroke.
4: We are recording this quite early. You might be hungry. I'm not sure. But, yeah, it's always nice when we can have a little conversation about something different and playing with Iggy Pop is just the craziest thing in the South. And the fact that he's involved now with Blondie, um, it's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing what's to come next. Of course, his new solo album, Consequences Coming, will be released April 27th. Uh, so go and check it out on his website, pre-order it, get a vinyl uh, if you feel like it. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear the rest of the songs. But been a very busy time behind the scenes for us, Sean. We've been getting a lot of... Uh, things in in the bag and you've been on the road a lot djing with the punk rock factory uh you've yes. got a a weekend or two off in between this tour now how's it been Sadly. and
3: i'm sure you've enjoyed the disc jockeying the touring's been great the touring's been great the disc jockeying's been very very fun um i managed to get a lot of um gothic marshes dancing to vengo boys So, yeah, it's been really, really good. It's been really fun hanging out with Punk Rock Factory and say it anyway. It's been great to kind of live vicariously through Punk Rock Factory because I'm seeing them do venues that they've never done before or they were previously told by other people that they wouldn't sell out or sell any tickets in some of these towns. And they've sold out all of the shows. So apart from I think there's a couple of tickets left for Cardiff um, on the 25th of March. 24th of March, we play Liverpool as well. 24th of March, Liverpool. 25th of March, Cardiff. They're playing the university. Come along. That's with Sean Smith DJing. The pop punk fantastic outfit. Junior are also playing. And Punk Rock Factory. And then me and Simon from Junior are DJing at Metro's nightclub after. So um come along to all of those. It's going to be a right laugh. Thank you very much to Punk Rock Factory for having me out on tour let's do a full episode of this very, very soon. It's been great to be out with them. I've I've loved watching them complete their goals and have fun.
4: Oh, well, it's been really nice seeing you being cheery and, and getting at these I and having
3: a lot. Laugh. <laughs> what? He's cheery? That's right. Sean, I've never seen his happy. What's going on? Is it because you're touring again, like you're in a band again? Yes, it's that.
4: But I would love to do a full episode with them uh, soon, so... Uh, keep an eye open for that. Also, I did see um, someone did the review of your DJ set.
3: Yep, yeah, don't quite get that, but yep, yeah, I got an 8 out of 10. Said that I'd riled <laughs> the crowd up and all this shit. Okay, um, that's just
0: yeah, good. Yeah, which I'm giving is 8 out of 10.
3: But the thing is, that's not my fault, is it? It's the songwriter's fault because I pressed play at the exact moments I needed to press play to keep the party going. So you so, did your job. You did your I did side my of the job. bargain. I did. So yeah, it was on the people I played to uh, provide the um, higher score, I guess. So um, I will be sending letters to every person and act that I played saying, up your game, will you? You got me a bad score. Take that, Venga boys, Avril Levine, The Green Day, uh, Fall Out Boy, and so on. Come and see me, DJ. You all this. is fucking class. It's <laughs> a good laugh,
4: man. To keep up to date with everything, uh, give Sean a follow on the social media. Give me a follow. But give us a follow at the podcast account at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. If this is your Go first yeah. time uh, listening to the podcast, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or rate us <laughs> highly on Spotify. Something like that would help us very, very much. And of course, if you want to keep this thing going, if you want to support this podcast being released each and every week, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash happening. There's loads of extra exclusives over on there and you get included into a wonderful family, cult, bunch of friends that are the best people on planet Earth. And you're going to be very glad you did. Um It's just always wholesome to see them being brilliant, brilliant humans and, and getting on with each other. So that's patreon.com forward slash sapnin. If you head to the description of this episode, there's loads of names there that we need to thank. And as always, Sean's gonna give a mohesive shout out to the elite members of our Sapnin Patreon community.
3: Yes, thank you very much. Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi, I'm a golden god, leave away. Paul Irshfield, Scarlett Charlton, Tony Michael, Dilly Grimwood, Kelly Ewing, Nathan Croeshow, Mitch Perry, Emma Barber, Sammy G, Cat Bessant, Muddy Grimwood, Jenny Robson, Scott Jones, Amy Dawson, Amy Louise, Stuart McNaught, Stephen Aston, Caroline Robinson, Kate Puttack, Louis Cook, Martina McManus, Carl Pendlebury, Danny Eaton, Jenny Munster, James McNaught, Kelly Cannon, Jason Aredia, John and Emma, Emily Perry, M. Evans Roberts, Craig Harris, Khalila Keane, Ollie Amesbury, Adam King of the Gosparslow, Josh went to the zoo yesterday and saw a baguette in the cage. The zookeeper told me he was bred in captivity. Crisp. Thank you very much. Alice Wood, Reese Bowring, Kate Stevenson, Kyle David-Smith, and last by no means least, Connor Lewin. Thank you very much to all of those people. Everybody in the description. Everybody who listens every week. Please, 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 please share, like, and subscribe where you can. It means the absolute world to us. And yes, if you want to help in any way, shape, or form, patreon or share the stuff please thank you very much love you you summed up very very well well there we go another
4: episode i don't think anyone was expecting i like when we can surprise people i like speaking to absolute icons of the industry i'm very much looking forward to a lot of things coming up in the near future so we'll be back next friday and every week with a very special guest but until then i still don't have a cat trace for the end so have a bloody good time don't die. Sapnin
1: <laughs>
3: Sapnin Promise me. <laughs> You're listening to Sapnin Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't, I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, Thank you very much.